I don't know about you, but I could just keep going. He is risen. He has. He is risen. I believe that most of the time. Most of the time. A lot of the time. Some of the time. I believe that Easter changes everything. But if I'm honest, sometimes it's hard to believe that. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going to sing songs like we just sang and you're going to hear scriptures about Jesus being raised from the dead and you're going to say, yes, mostly. And then you might go home to an Easter dinner and go back to your life potentially largely unaffected by the news. But I love this story that we're going to look at from the Gospel of Mark because the way it looks is bleak. And yet, there's some faith there. So if you're someone who's wondering why or how or maybe even if Easter matters beyond this once-a-year holiday, that it matters to change your ordinary not always great life like mine, then I invite you to hear the word and just be open to what it says today. This reading is from Mark chapter 16. It says that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices to the tomb that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out of the tomb and fled. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. What do you think of that ending? Now, at Restoration, sometimes we'll do these things called all plays where everyone can shout out an answer. It's where the sounds of the symphony are greater than the sounds of the solo. So, And especially if you're young, I'm going to want to hear from you in a moment. But what questions might you have as you hear the end of that story? What next? A little louder back there. What's next? Why didn't they tell anyone? Yeah, that's a good... Right? Right? Yes. The angel said, tell everyone, and then they don't tell everyone. That's, that's a good answer. She's going to have my job soon. <laughs> that's okay. That's what we're about. Oh. Why did the story just stop? Yeah. In fact, if you look at your Bible, you might see that there's more words after that. Maybe they're in italics or brackets. It's like somebody had to add 
to the end of the story. They didn't like this unresolved ending. Huh, amazing how 2,000 years can go by and people still don't like unresolved endings. Yeah. So if you could rewrite the story, especially if you're young, how should the story have ended? Way back there. They should have gone to the disciples, yeah. That's a good ending. Anything else? They should have told everyone. That would sound like faith, right? That's what I think that would sound like faith. And, and that's the added ending puts that in. I think there's three other Gospels, partly because Mark was written first and nobody really liked that ending. Maybe, maybe not, but... You know, we could have a conversation about it. I mean, consider Mark's ending. You have three distraught women of all the disciples. All the men are absent. And I think they're distraught because they go to the tomb and then go, oh, wait, there's a large stone in the way that we can't roll away. And then you have this man who's not quite identified as an angel, but sort of, and described in a white robe. He includes this peculiar detail about being on the right side of the tomb. Although he does say the words that exactly Jesus says. And then the story abruptly ends with silence and fear. See, I don't think that that faith changes everything. And yet, it did. So if we could find out, if we could just explore for a few minutes what faith they did have that changed their lives, that had fear and unresolved endings, then maybe Easter could change everything for our lives too. See, I think Mark's version of the story is actually brilliant because it forces us to enter the story and have conversations about faith. So when I say faith, I think faith is a framework for what we think or believe about the way the world works. So some of you, you might have faith in healthy living. Like, you believe or you have faith that if you eat right and you exercise and you don't put bad things in your body, that you'll live a long life. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I would even go so far as to say that faith, that trust, you're basing some of your life on it. Some of you might have faith or belief in karma, this idea that if I do good things to others, then good things come back to me. I'm not trying to disparage it. I'm just trying to show you that faith and a philosophy are really not that different. So if we think about faith in those terms, then sometimes people will say, especially intelligent but skeptical people, they'll say, well, I don't have faith in what I can't prove, and since Jesus is really hard to prove, or so they say, then I can't put my faith in him. And if I've earned the right to speak into their lives, I'll say, well, then what you're saying is that you have faith in what you can do or see in your actions to understand or know something. It's the, I can get it or fix it faith. And this is the kind of faith that gets put on television, like especially after a storm. Oh, there was a tornado going by and I had faith in God and he just, he saved me. Or I needed money and I had faith in God and I won the lottery. That'd be, you know, fun. Um, Or I had faith in God to heal someone that I loved, and he did. And I'm not disparaging that faith either. 
Because when I'm in a desperate place, I have that faith. God, I made this bad decision, and now I need you to fix it. God, I have a friend who's hurting. I have a wife who's back. I need you to fix it. God, my mom's heart doesn't work right. I need you to heal that. I want you to heal that. God, I have a friend that needs a job. I, I want you to fix that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but my question is, what happens when it doesn't work? Because I think there's a lot of us that want to have that faith, but then when it doesn't work, we feel like God let us down. I have a good friend, pretty good friend, who at 12 or 13, his grandpa, who he loved, who also loved God, served the church faithfully and then got sick. And he prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal him. And he didn't get healed. He died. And I love this friend, but he doesn't have faith in God anymore. He kind of says, why would God take the man I love the most who clearly loved him? See, I think Jesus actually challenges this faith all the way through the Bible, but specifically at the beginning of Mark's story. In Mark chapter 2, it says that Jesus enters this town of Capernaum and people heard that he had come. It was early in his ministry and they gathered in such large numbers that, that they filled the house. There was no room left. And so Jesus was teaching and preaching the word to them. So if you don't know a lot about Jesus, before he was killed, he was going around and telling people about who God was and how the world worked. And he did it in a way, get this, that made sense and didn't put you to sleep, right? I mean, and, and the best part was he was healing people that were rich and poor, young and old, religious and irreligious, ethnically like him and ethnically completely different than him. And he was doing it all for free. See, I think if Jesus went on tour with that, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I think if Jesus went on tour with that, I'd buy a ticket. I'd go see. So everybody was going to see. And it says some men came bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them, and they couldn't get him to Jesus, so they, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof, and they tore open, and they lowered this guy down in the middle of it. And I have to believe that the guy that was being carried these were his friends. I don't know that for sure, but I don't have the answers to why he was hurt or how it happened or if he was born that way. But in that time and culture, I know that if you couldn't walk, you couldn't work, and if you couldn't work, you couldn't make money, and if you couldn't make money, your choices were to beg for food or beg for money, and eventually, if you couldn't get food, you wouldn't live. So these people care enough about him to bring him to Jesus so he can live. And Jesus looks at them, and he sees their faith, and then he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I have to imagine that Jesus has this loving grin on his face, and the guy's like, oh. I don't know, but... You know, it's kind of like a comedian who goes and goes and he's, he's ripping jokes, great, and then all of a sudden he adds this dud and the room kind of stops and then he has a second one right after that and the air leaves the room and you hear whispering of like, what did he say? He said his sins are forgiven. Really? Why, why, did, why did he say that? I don't know. That's weird. And Jesus looks up at the guys on the roof and they're like, 
No, I mean, yeah, yeah, your sins, Jesus, ah, oh. um, well, we, ah, oh. we brought him here so that you could, you could fix him. It, oh, his sins are forgiven, that'll be, oh, I know that'll be good when he's dead, but, but now, <laughs> think about it, we want you to fix his bigger problem. And before you dismiss me for saying it, imagine if it was your friend who couldn't walk, and you heard that there was someone in town, in a time where it was tough to even find medical treatment, let alone pay for it, and you heard that someone could heal him or her. Wouldn't you drive across town and do anything you could to bring them? And I guess I'm imagining, because I wouldn't, that you would not be thinking about their sin. I think the guys are disappointed. The religious leaders, they're mad. Because I think religious leaders, they have faith in pointing out where the lines are and who's in and who's out. And I can't get really mad at the friends because when I pray for God to fix something and he doesn't, I'm kind of disappointed too. But it says some teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? So Jesus hears what they're thinking, which should make some of us stop. Not think near Jesus, because he knows. <laughs> but he knows what he's going to do, too. And so he says, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the man, get up and walk? Or to say your sins are forgiven? But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, I say to you, and he looks at the man again, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the man gets up. And everyone was amazed. They praised God, they cheered, never seen anything like this. I have to imagine. I mean, this is what the scholars and the skeptics and everyone in between came to see. Like, yeah, Jesus healed them. Woohoo! I think the guys on the roof would have been jumping up and down, but if Jesus would have healed the guy's legs first, I think they would have had the same reaction. Yeah! We get to run and jump and play together, work together. I think the people in the room would have erupted with laughter and joy. But then I think when the crowds left and Jesus, being the carpenter, Helps the guy fix his roof. I think he would have been saying to, to himself and maybe to the homeowner, like, they missed it. They missed the most important part. If Jesus would have healed the guy's legs first, he would have said, I, I mean, I came to heal you and I came to save you. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to let myself be mocked and whipped and beaten and nailed to a crucifixion, to a cross, to a torture device, so that you can have your sins forgiven, so that you can know that I have come to reconnect you with God. I mean, it's great that your legs work, but really that's a temporary problem. And it's only a matter of time before I have another temporary problem. So if you 
put your faith in this that God will get it or fix it, it's going to be really fragile and very confusing, and it's only a matter of time before it's going to fall apart. See, what we get promised with Christ is that he came to fix our biggest problem, our separation from God. If you look at the beginning of the story, all throughout the scriptures and all throughout the story of humanity, it's us trying to think that we have life apart from God. That's our biggest problem. See, I do believe that Easter is the most important part of Christianity because if we believe everything about Jesus but Easter didn't happen, then really, Jesus is just one more person offering us promises and ideas that may or may not help us about our life. And there were lots of people who lived, who taught, and who died. Jesus is the only one that not only was born, that not only lived, that not only taught, but he was the one who said why and how he would die and that three days later he would rise again. He said, people are going to kill me in an attempt to prove that what I've said is not true. But when I rise from the grave, then you will know. Then you can have faith. Then you can trust everything I've said and done. And so we go to the tomb and we see the empty grave And we hear an angel saying that what Jesus said would happen has happened. But we don't, in Mark's story, get a picture of Jesus. We don't get to see him with his eyes, with our eyes. What we do get is an invitation to go to the place that he is already leading us to. To go back to the beginning, at least for them, their Galilee, where they would learn to follow him again. See, today we're invited and maybe challenged to go to the place where we know God is leading us. Even if you have this vague concept of God, but you're willing to just trust him a little bit. Because the resurrection says that we can trust everything that Christ did. Then we can go to that place that he's already leading us. To the place where we can learn to follow him again. See, my faith is not based on Jesus' birth or life or teachings, although those are all good things. I mean, Jesus did say some things that are pretty challenging that sometimes I don't want to do. But they're based on his resurrection. And all the evidence, the best evidence, points to the resurrection being true. And the resurrection is where dead things come back to life. The resurrection is the things that I don't think can be fixed, the things that I don't have any hope in, they can still have hope. What we can count on today, what, if we place our trust in Jesus and the resurrection, we can count on, not that it won't be problem-free. Jesus never promised us problem-free. But we can count on that he'll always be there. He says that he will never leave us or forsake us that he will always be with us, that he will never lie to us. That's what we can put our faith in. That's where we can put our hope. We can put our hope in the fact that he not only died to forgive our sin, but that he reconnects us with God as he rose from the grave. We can put our faith in that. It's a faith that can overcome fear. It's a faith that can persist through the silence 
It's a faith that says, even if God doesn't answer your prayer to heal that friend or to bring this thing back, to take away that pain, that he will, even after the grave, answer that prayer. God always answers prayer. I mean, when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying for God to take away this pain this way, God didn't answer that until after the grave. And then on the cross, as he's being killed, as as the pain that is unbearable is going through his body, pulsating, he doesn't pray for God to take it away. Instead, he prays for God to forgive humanity. Us being reconnected with God was always on his mind. No matter where you are today in your faith in him, know that his mind is always on reconnecting you with him because that's where we find life. We may not always get the prayers answered in the way we want, but we will always hear them answered in the way that is God's best. We can count on that. We can count on Hebrews 4.16, which says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence because we will find mercy and grace in our time of need. We can count on that wherever you're at. So if we want to see Jesus... We've got to leave the empty tomb and run to where the evidence points, run to where his promises are, where we can trust, that place where we learn to follow him again. That's when Easter can change everything. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that what I need for faith is not based on how confidently or assuredly I speak or believe it is based on what you've done. And God, I pray for those here who who are facing a situation right now where, where their faith is feeling very fragile, whether it's in themselves or in you or in something else, God. I pray that, that we could look past just you fixing the problem to what it means for you to solve our biggest problem, our separation from you. And God, that we would confidently walk towards you. That even if we have fear, even if we feel silenced, God, that that faith, like this faith that we see in this story, that that would overcome. That it would put us in a place where we can see you. See where you're leading and trust in all you've said. Not based on what we've done, but based on what you've done. And God, I just pray specifically today for those that have been thinking it's about you fixing their problems, acknowledging that doing it on your own is a bigger problem than being connected with you. And I pray, God, that we would just come to you if that's our faith. And we would say, God, I I trust in you. I choose to believe in you. I know I can't do it on my own. But you came to reconnect me. You rose from the grave to reconnect me with God and that I could trust everything that you've said. And I place that hope, that faith, that trust in you today that you'd change everything for me. In Jesus' name, amen.